Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 81. This week, we talk with David Wilson about PowerShell and Visual Studio Code, amazing visual cryptography, and Joe Zach goes full NASCAR. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have David Wilson. He's a software engineer working on developer tools in the Windows PowerShell team at Microsoft. And this week, he's here to talk to us about adding advanced PowerShell development support to modern code editors like Visual Studio Code. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks. Yeah. So this is actually a follow-up from from Adam Driscoll's episode. So we had him on a few episodes ago to talk about PowerShell. And then you reached out and you're like, hey, we're working on something really cool. And, um, you know, we should uh, get this scheduled. Yep. And this is really timely. So we're going to publish this after it is announced. So we're recording like right before the announcement. Uh, but this is super exciting stuff because PowerShell is cool. VS Code is cool. And uh, I think you're cool, too. So <laughs> got the triad of coolness on this episode. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really excited about it, actually. It's been uh, really great uh, working with uh, the VS Code team and, you know, trying to yeah. put PowerShell and VS Code. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what people think whenever we release tomorrow. Okay, very cool. So, Carl, how's it going with you? I'm doing pretty good. So I did something kind of cool, Carl, I want to tell you about. So I moved my computers into the basement. So I I think I discussed this with you a long, long time ago, but I've I've been thinking about doing this for months, and I finally did it. So what I did is I, I have wood floors here in my office, and I, I basically drilled a hole in the floor that was the same size as what you'd find like on a desk. And, uh, I mounted my computer in the, in the floor joist, um, but right below my office. And then I ran my cables down there. So I basically got my tower out of there. And even this podcast machine is actually in the basement. Um, so all the, you know, all the cables run down to there get, you know, they run up to my monitors up here. So there's really no, you know, you really can't tell that there's no computer in here other than the fact that in the summer, it's not going to get so hot anymore. (laughs) And I don't have that constant uh, hum of the, of the PC fan. So that is, uh, that's pretty cool. So I wrote that up into a blog post. If you want to see some pictures of, of what I did. And, um, I think that's inspired a couple other people to, to look at doing the same thing. Um, because again, that, that constant hum, you don't even necessarily notice it, but, um, you know, it can give you headaches and, uh, once it's gone, then you'll really notice it. So, so I noticed that you said you had dual DVI connections. So those are pretty big. So those fit down right down your hole that you had, right? Yeah. 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 So, so and, and you had to, and, and you had to get extensions for that then I'm assuming. Cause I actually, I, actually not. So the fact that my PC is like right under my desk, you know, right under the floor, right under the desk, my cables, my cables were actually already too long oh. and they actually, they actually need to be shorter now. So all of my cables actually work fine. I did buy some USB extensions, but they're all extra long now. So, um, I really didn't need any of those extensions. That was, that was kind of pointless. The only thing that I really had to, to do a little bit differently was, you know, my, my Blu-ray player in my tower, you know, I didn't want to run downstairs every time I wanted to put something in there. So what I did is I, I bought this, um, anchor or anchor, however you pronounce it. They have a little USB three to SATA adapter, and you basically, um, and I have a, I think I have a, a link to this on my, on my blog post here, but basically that thing runs to a USB cable down to my, my tower. And, uh, I just basically set the Blu-ray player right on my desk so I can put the, the discs in and, and it's, it's just outside of the, the tower now, which is pretty slick. So I'm really liking it. You know, I should probably should have done it in the summer cause now it's the winter and you know, now I, I lost my heater, but that's all right. I can just turn up the furnace. <laughs> 
Okay. So we had some awesome, awesome, awesome feedback this week. So you want to talk about this, Carl? Yeah. So this is the first time that this has actually happened. We had somebody kind of assault us from all sides. <laughs> so okay, jo- you need to explain that. So Joe Zach, uh, has, uh, he had already had a hat of ours yeah. and he went out and bought on, uh, on Amazon, our t-shirt, which we'll talk about a little bit later, mm-hmm. but he wore them and posted pictures of himself, both on, on our Facebook account and on Twitter. He yeah. just really wanted to get our attention. And, uh, Joe, you got it. <laughs> and because of that, uh, you win the Infragistics ultimate license this week. And if anybody else wants to be entered to win the ultimate license, you just have to mention us, uh, Twitter, Facebook, like, Joe did. Uh, iTunes reviews are great. You can email us at feedback at msdevshow.com or anywhere else where we take feedback, including our website. Yep. And his comment was, I think your next giveaway should be for your best looking fan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he definitely got our attention. The only thing he's missing. So Joe, what you need to do on the back of your phone that you use to take this picture, uh, you have to use one of those square MS Dev Show stickers that fits right on the back of that iPhone. It, it covers up that ugly Apple symbol, so yeah, it does it really well. You can cover that up. And then you'll be like a NASCAR fan with like the badges all over your body, basically. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, so yeah, how, how do people buy the swag that you have in that picture? So we have set up on Amazon all of our different logos on shirts. So if you go to Amazon and search for msdevshow.com, we have a link to it. If you go through our website on the right-hand side in that uh, bar there, you'll actually be able to see where you can buy T-shirts. But I have been told that for some international people, shipping gets a little bit high. <laughs> um, Amazon is running that shipping part. Shipping and tax. Yeah, shipping and tax. So. Uh, we just set up the original t-shirt prices. So if you're in the U S that's $20, whatever happens after that, it's Amazon's fault. So we're sorry right now. There's nothing we can do about that. But if somebody does know, uh, a place that'll do like on-demand printing, that's decent enough quality that you would want to wear, uh, and is reasonable for international orders, let us know. We definitely want to bring that to you at reasonable costs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so 20 bucks, and you said that they're eligible. I think almost all of them are eligible for Prime as well. Yep, so if you have um, Prime in the U.S., you get a free shipping, yep. and two-day shipping. Yep, and you can order the stickers as well. And then the, the hats, you have to get those from us, right? Actually, we're out of hats. So I found some. I have some. So you got to find oh, me, basically, which is a little bit harder yes. than finding Carl. <laughs> but that's all right. You guys can track us down. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some news here. So... One thing that I want to talk about was, uh, this is big news. This made all the headlines. I ordered my <laughs> band too. <laughs> okay. I guess this isn't really news. Uh, but what I'm working on right now, which might be kind of interesting and you know, you and I, Carl, we put everything on GitHub, pretty much everything we work on. In fact, I worked on some stuff last week and I wanted to put on GitHub and the partner I was working with didn't want it on GitHub. So I didn't put it on there, but, um, you know, I always ask cause I, I try to get everything out there open source and in the community. So what I'm working on right now is the iOS version of my uh, my band PowerPoint remote so that if you're not familiar with that, it basically lets you uh, do gestures to, um, you know, advance the and, and go to the previous slide in your in your PowerPoint presentation. So you don't have to hold one of those little remotes. You can just uh, you can just wave your hand. So basically the band talks to the phone um, and then the phone talks to the um you know, basically talks to PowerPoint through signal R, which is kind of interesting. That's a great but, idea. Uh, yeah. So it's, this is, this is the iOS version. So I'm doing it in Xamarin. It's not, I'm not using Xamarin forms, but I'm using uh, Xamarin. So I'm, you know, it's all C sharp code with, you know, an iOS front end 
And then I'm hoping to merge that backend then ultimately with the, the backend that I'm using for, for windows. Uh, there were some inconsistencies in the, in the band SDK. Um, I think I can work through all of that and then get those things merged together and, and ultimately have a nice backend code base. So that's been kind of interesting. Uh, next news item, an introduction to designer and morph in PowerPoint. This is pretty co- cool. Did you look at this, Carl? Uh, I just started looking at it, but I did not have a chance to finish it. My yeah. morning has been kind of hectic. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, Carl. So this is a video. And and honestly, like until I use these, I'm, I'm still, even though it's a video, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how this works because he showed some really cool things because, um, you know, he showed some of the... Um, you know, design ways that you can design your, your PowerPoint to like really make it pop. And, um, I actually, I'll just talk about the second part here, which is basically morphing. So he, he has all these different bike pieces on there. And I think he's basically doing a keyframe, you know, with like these, 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 uh, parts are all separated. And then he does another one where the bike is all assembled. And then it basically will, um, send that, I think it goes through the cloud somehow. It, It mentions that this thing is like cloud powered, but ultimately what is happening is it's, uh, you know, it's morphing that from the separate pieces into the bike. So you get this really cool, smooth animation of the bike. Just it assembles before your eyes. And this is the kind of stuff that, that, you know, like I can make an okay PowerPoint. Whenever you look at this, this is like the difference between like an amazing, amazing PowerPoint that just looks super professional versus like what I would make. Um, and he makes this look really easy and it sounds like this is going to be really easy to do in PowerPoint. So very cool feature. Uh, next up, uh, first major update for windows available. Um, it was available. I was last week, I think like Wednesday or Thursday, right, Carl? Yes. Yeah. So if you, uh, if you haven't gotten this update, you can go, I think you can just go into windows update and, and update. It should be in there now. Yeah. There, there's a few things that will hold it up for you. If you've only, if you've recently, uh, done it, the windows insider track and have only done that in the last couple of weeks okay. that could potentially hold you back from getting the update if you disenrolled from that. So, uh, how, how some of the upgrades oh, work is if you have a windows old folder, that's less than a month old. That is what will, um, hold you back. Okay. Can you just delete it? You can delete it now, or the other option is you could just download the ISO for, because the ISO yep. is available now and you could do an upgrade from there. You don't have to do a full reinstall. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. What I ended up doing my, my surface pro three for whatever reason, and I think it, part of it is like the Microsoft it power policies. It was just working horribly. My battery life every other time would be eight hours and then it would be, you know, two hours at best. It was, it was just crazy. And all these processes were going wild and the the fan would make it sound like it was going to take off. So I actually did, I, I downloaded the ISO made a, a USB and then I, I just completely wiped this thing. And it has been so far, you know, knock on wood, I suppose, but it has been a hundred percent perfect. Um, the battery life I've been, you know, like playing video has been, uh, between eight and nine hours. I haven't had the fan going crazy at all. Um, I haven't had any kind of weird standby issues or anything like that. So I think this is a pretty significant update and I love that, you know, if you just let your stuff sit around, like it, it just gets updated and these things just get better over time. Has, Has your experience been good with this upgrade, Carl? Yeah, so I I'm, have all my computers on the Insider program, so I had that uh, about a week, week and a half ahead of time, and yeah. the, the all the ones since RTM of Windows 10 have just been really outstanding. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Uh, this is an Azure story. Microsoft sets up data centers in Germany amid U.S. surveillance concerns. So the idea here is to um, – this is sort of how the um, some of the other – 
data centers are run, like the one in China, where essentially the you know you have a local organization that's running the data center so that it's not run by the U.S. So that the idea is that you can. Um, you know, have, have more trust in your data here, because if you, if you put it there, then the U S government shouldn't have any rights over getting this data. And I, I'm definitely not a lawyer, nor do I understand like the world political environment, but I know that this is big news for a lot of people and anybody who, who is worried about, um, these, these data issues that, um, you know, especially around uh, Europe, this is, I know that this is big news for them. So to be extra clear, these are Azure data centers yep. that are not being run by Microsoft, but by a third party. Right. In this right. case, Deutsche Telekom. Yep. So what that means, you know, is that when these issues do happen where the U.S. courts want to find somebody that has something in that data center, Microsoft can say, it's not us. Yeah, exactly. So until these get resolved, this is the cleanest way that Microsoft has found. Yep. And, and, and this also follows... Microsoft's extensive expansion of its data centers in Europe, because I believe uh, just a week prior that they announced that there's going to be three data centers opening in the UK as well. Yeah, and actually, do, I don't have those in the list here, do I? Yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch. And and what's what's neat about Azure, and I think one one thing that's really a huge advantage, and and one thing that partners really like is the the number of regions. So if you compare it to um, Amazon, for example, Amazon has a lot of data centers, but they have far fewer regions. And regions are important because you you know wherever you're at in the world, you want a region to be as close as possible to you. So um, the more regions that are dispersed around the world, the more uh, likely it is that they that the that the data centers will be next to your customer because it doesn't really doesn't really pay to you know cram 500 data centers in a Chicago, for example, right? Because you know if you're in if you're in uh, Europe, that's not really going to help you anymore. Um, so like I said, having more regions is is better. And yeah, we're just and Microsoft is just going crazy at at building these these regions, which is a huge advantage in my mind. Uh, next up, visual cryptography, and I don't, I don't know if that's what this should be called. Um. <laughs> so, so, so it, it is cryptography, but it's okay. it's just making it visual. Okay. So, so what this is is, you know, we understand f- cryptography and the fact that you have your data, and it's essentially at the very lowest level, ORD, the OR operation, with a bunch of noise. Mm-hmm. And what this uh, site does is it. It has a bunch of different examples to show you that you can have um, kind of use that the other way. So in uh, steganography, that's hiding data in images, which also uses cryptography. Uh, they show taking two different images that each image on their own, they look like nothing but noise. So it's just yeah, a bunch of that's what's rent. impressive about it. They're just they are like I even if you know what you're looking for. You don't see any patterns. And, and, and they show you what you're going to be looking for. So mm-hmm. uh, you can move your mouse and your mouse will move one image over the other image. And once they line up exactly, all of a sudden um, the proper image shows up. So the first one, they have like a, a square a circle and a star. Yeah. And until you get them exactly lined up, you don't know that they're there. Um, and he, he goes through all the math and it, it shows why it works. Um, the next one he even shows like you, um, you can see images in the noise. Yeah. And once they have an exact overlay, all of a sudden you see something totally different and unexpected. So he has his name written out in one image and the word fish outlined uh, in the other image. And once you overlay them, both of those disappear and you see like a, a goldfish, an actual image of a goldfish. Which is, what, yeah, which, which is just mind blowing. I just, 
<laughs> I keep looking at it. It's like, okay, is he changing it somehow? But no, I mean, this is, yeah. this is legit. And when you're one pixel away, you don't see it. Yeah. It's once you get that final pixel over and that everything lines up perfectly. And that's kind of when, you know, some of these cryptographic concepts make it a little bit more concrete in your head with some of these examples. Yeah. So one, it's a fun site to play around with, but two, it kind of takes those things that you may have learned in university or school and kind of just makes them a little bit more real. Yeah. Are you playing around with this, David? Oh, I haven't actually tried that yet, but it sounds awesome. Yeah. De- go go to the site. It is just it is just amazing. Like you can actually play with the cryptography while you're on the page. <laughs> and it's it's just it's just awesome to see the words and um does he have an app here or anything that you can use to to do this? I wonder if he's got this on like GitHub or something. I didn't see anything yet in here about it. Be neat to uh to have a a tool uh to do this. I don't that think sounds, it's, you know, sounds it's like not, a fun project for you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be cool. You can print this. I mean, you could print this on those uh, like transparency sheets. And then I, you know, I don't know how often people use like overhead projectors anymore, but you could, you know, you could actually show this like with, with actual sheets, which would be pretty neat to see as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So just so everybody's aware, we are recording this before visual studio connect. Um, so you know, we don't have those announcements. So if you're listening to this and you're like, uh, why, why aren't you talking about that? It's because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so in our next episode, we're going to cover all of those announcements in great detail. So just, um, yeah, listen to the next episode for those. Uh, so let's get to David here. Cause I've been wanting to talk to him for a while here. So, so you work on the PowerShell team. Uh, how long you been on that team? I've only officially been on the team for about two months, but uh, I was uh, on a sister team in Windows Server who was actually responsible for maintaining uh, a lot of the uh, management-centric UI, and they own PowerShell ISE. So um, when I left my previous team, I joined that team too, specifically because I wanted to work on the PowerShell ISE. Okay. And then eventually got moved over. Yeah. So just to define ISE for everybody. So there's, you know, if you, if you go to like start and and you search your computer for like PowerShell, you'll get this PowerShell command prompt. If you go into there and you type in ISE, or if you just search your computer for ISE, like you already have this thing installed. Yep. This is just sort of a, a secret program that, that people have on their, on their computer and they probably don't even know it. Yep. Um, so that's, that's what you're referring to there. Yep. Um, so, so what do you work on, on the PowerShell team? Uh, so basically, uh, I have a couple of different responsibilities. One is to to sort of maintain and improve uh, the PowerShell ISE. So the PowerShell ISE is like a a built-in script editor for PowerShell. It provides you you know uh, IntelliSense capabilities for writing scripts, um, you know script debugging both for uh, locally running scripts and remote uh, scripts running on a remote machine, um, and also gives you a really nice interactive console, which is almost like um, a in some ways a better PowerShell console. Um, so a lot of people like this tool and uh, use it quite a lot. So I've been tasked to sort of maintain it and to maybe make some changes going forward that will make it better for people. But aside from that, I'm also sort of focused on the general um, developer tools um, strategy for PowerShell. Uh, and that's sort of what led me to work on some of these newer projects that we'll be talking about today. Okay. So you're on the PowerShell team and you're here to kind of talk about some things that uh, new places where we're going to be able to do PowerShell development. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So basically, we've decided that um, 
that it makes more sense to to try to to reach the developers wherever they are. I mean, a lot of people you know use Visual Studio, which is great, and uh, Adam Driscoll did some really good work to bring uh, really good PowerShell editing support to Visual Studio, which was lacking for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from that, um, there is the PowerShell ISE, which is the built-in tool, and there are a couple other third-party PowerShell editors. But there was really no way to get really good PowerShell editing support in editors like Sublime Text or Atom. So um, I started looking into how we could um, provide better PowerShell editing support, like IntelliSense and Code Navigations, et cetera, to these to these uh, other um, uh, development tools. And um, we sort of came across the approach that the OmniSharp project uses. And if you haven't heard mm-hmm. of that, um, OmniSharp is a sort of a language service for C Sharp, uh, written by a guy named uh, Jason Imason, uh, and also maintained by the OmniSharp community. Uh, it allows you to plug in C-sharp development capabilities into any editor like Emacs or Sublime Text or Atom. And it's actually really robust, so you can do quite a lot of things with it. Um, so I sort of took some inspiration from that approach and uh, did the same thing for PowerShell. So now we have a PowerShell language service that's able to uh, talk to these uh, various code editors to bring this experience to, um, to, to developers wherever they may be. Okay. I was going to ask you if, if this was, if this worked like OmniSharp. So I, I don't fully know how OmniSharp works. Does, is it like a, is it like a service that's, that's running in the background or is it a, is it like a DLL that you include to get these features? Like what, what does that look like in, in OmniSharp particularly? Yeah. So for OmniSharp, um, uh, originally it was a, a hosted process. So you basically launch this process and then it spawns okay. up an, an HTTP server. And then you, and the editor that you would write a plugin for the, the specific editor, which would make HTTP requests to OmniSharp. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they may have uh, migrated over to um, a different model, which is similar to what I'm using now, which is where um, the editor launches the process and then communicates with it through standard in and standard out. So you're basically writing JSON messages directly to the standard in of the of the language service process and then reading the messages that come from standard out. So this is a kind of a, a, a more easy strategy and has less overhead because you don't need to stand up a full HTTP stack to be able to 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 get messages and to send send responses. Right. And then it's a proven approach as well, because you, you know, you've, you've seen that, that doing it this way works well. So absolutely sharp has sort of proven that. Yep. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second. And I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah. If you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio, too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and, you know, sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. 
And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. Is this PC only then? Because I yeah. know Visual Studio Code is cross-platform. Right, yeah. That's definitely one one limitation currently is that you know PowerShell only exists on, on Windows. Um, so, right. R- so right now, um, the PowerShell, the better PowerShell editing doesn't work on uh, Mac OS X or Linux. Um, you'll still get the syntax highlighting and snippets uh, if you use uh, the extension on those platforms, but, but currently there's no language intelligence or, de- or debugging support. But okay. um, sort of, I mean... If you consider the fact that we have this process that uh, speaks a protocol um, and it, um, it gives, gives these language capabilities, it does, it's not a, a stretch to imagine that it could run on a different machine. So uh, if you think about you know, being on OS X and using VS Code in OS X, potentially you could have uh, the language service running inside of a Windows VM there and then communicate it with it, with it through that, uh, through like maybe WebSockets or something. So um, I want to investigate some of these possibilities, you know, maybe next year sometime to see if we can actually allow rich PowerShell editing in Linux or Mac OS X, but targeting, you know, a Windows machine. Ah, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Okay. So what are the initial set, set of features that we're going to get for PowerShell editing? Yeah, so um, the, the most obvious one would be IntelliSense, and that's k- kind of a key feature for anyone who wants to be able to mm. uh, learn more about the, the language that they're using. Because, um, you know, PowerShell has a, a wealth of, of commands uh, that do just about anything you'd want to do to manage your computer. So having IntelliSense is great to be able to, you know, start typing a command and get it completed and then also see the list of parameters that it takes. Um, another cool thing about PowerShell's uh, built-in completion engine is that you can even complete uh, the uh, parameters to, or sorry, the, the values that pass to parameters. So for instance, right. if you type the get process commandlet, um, you can actually, in VS Code, get completion of the names of the running processes on your machine. So it makes it really easy for you to do some sort of like exploratory oh. coding. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. Does, all- does ISE do that today? Yeah, ISE also does that. Okay, okay. So this is, I mean, so all the things that I like, you know, because I, I love being in ISE because whenever I'm typing, you know, like you said, you get that, you get the pop-up that says like, you know, here's the commandlets that that match, you know, what what you're, you know, the what you've typed so far. So that that's, I mean, I'm going to get that wonderful experience in VS Code then. Absolutely. Another interesting thing about uh, PowerShell's completion engine is that uh, other people can plug in their own sort of argument completers. So there's a PowerShell MVP named Trevor Sullivan who uh, made a uh, an argument completer extension for Azure. So there's a set of Azure commandlets that you can use for managing your Azure subscription. So uh, he made it so that you can actually complete the names of your resources running in Azure you know, that, that are tied oh. to your Azure subscription. That's so, pretty awesome. Yeah, so that kind of capability also comes to VS Code and other editors who are using this sort of uh, language server platform. Okay, so, since you have this this like uh, you know external language server, is is PowerShell ISE then? Is it is it's basically is its underlying engine being ripped out in favor of this external engine? That's definitely something that I would like to do. Um, okay. I, I don't know how practical it is because we still have to ship the IC in Windows and um, the right. the language oh, service. Oh, I get you. Right, the yeah. language service itself, we're actually open sourcing it. So we just have to get approval and make sure that it's not going to cause any problems. But uh, my, my goal with the, uh, the language service, uh, and the name of this thing is PowerShell Editor Services. So uh, the, the, the goal of this project in general is to uh, have a shared 
platform for providing um, development capabilities to any editor. And I would like to have it be used across all of the places where PowerShell editing is, is available, including the IIC, so that we have a consistent experience and so that the things that we learn about, you know, the different features that are uh, required, we can kind of all put them in one place and then everyone can benefit from, from them. Oh, absolutely. And then, yeah, then what you could just use whatever tool you want. You still get all the same features because I think it'd be a, obviously a big disadvantage if you're if you're in ISE and you're missing feature B and then you go into VS Code and you're f- missing feature A and, and then it's like, okay, well, no tool does all these things. So exactly um, that that would be a, a pretty cool approach. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so other features um, on the language side of things would be um, uh, signature help, which is sort of a little pop-up that shows up that shows you all of the different parameter sets for a given command, it's sort of like uh, function overloads in, uh, in C-sharp or TypeScript. So in VS Code, they have a really nice UI that sort of shows you the signature that uh, you're currently editing, and you can sort of arrow through what other available signatures that there are. Uh, we've also added... Um, uh, like go to definition support for variables and functions, um, find all references of, of various symbols, um, being able to rename symbols in a file, uh, being able to get a list of all the symbols that are currently in the file. So there's this kind of nice feature in VS Code where you can say, give me the list of symbols in the file and you can easily navigate to any of them. So it's sort of like the, the drop down that you see in Visual Studio that gives you the list of the functions that are all in the current class. So uh, a lot of these really sort of richer um, uh, code navigation features are now possible for PowerShell. Uh, and it's funny because the PowerShell ISE does not have these features. So this, right, is, right. this is one well, Because big... VS Code is bringing those to the table, right? Exactly. VS Code has provided a really nice UI for exposing these features. And in fact, I, I think that it's probably one of the best editors out there right now for you know this, this sort of style of editing. But um, yeah, but uh, the PowerShell ISE doesn't have these capabilities, but it easily could if we moved over to using um, this, this platform uh, as its core. So I really would like to try to do that uh, if, if it's possible next year. Okay, so I, I can see how this thing makes sense. I, I can see how it makes sense to use VS Code if you're editing a PowerShell script. But what if I'm, I just want to play around in the command line? What does that look like? Because PowerShell ISE does this whole thing where you have kind of the, you know, a command prompt type section. And then above that, there's like a script type section. So you have this sort of dual mode. Right. So does it look like that in VS Code or are you only getting one of those panes? Well, um, you, you get it to some degree. Um, so the way that things work in VS Code is that uh, no code is going to be executed until you try to actually run it under the debugger. And uh, okay. currently we do support local script debugging. So if you have a script running on your local machine, you can uh, run it under the debugger and, and do all sorts of stuff. But uh, when you run that, you actually get access to a debug console, which will allow, will allow you to run PowerShell commandlets whenever the debugger has stopped on a breakpoint or something. Okay. Uh, this is very different than the ISC, where basically you can type in commands at any time and get the, and get the results. And then also the commands that you type in the console will impact the IntelliSense that you get in the editor. So um, there's definitely a, a divergence in, in that type of functionality uh, between these two editors. But I think over time, we can probably um, get VS Code to be more like the ISE in that it has a, a persistent um, uh, console. But of course, this is something that, you know, I still need to discuss with the VS Code team and sort of, you know, you know give them <laughs> surprise. Say, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, here, here's a good use case for this, you know, that's that sort of thing. But well, I think I think that makes sense, like across a lot of different languages. I mean, if you're in, if you're in C sharp, and you want to actually, well, I C sharp is a good example, but even let's say Node.js is is just as good of an example. I mean, if you go to the command prompt and you type in Node, right, you get like this REPL system where you can you can type in one plus one and it'll tell you it's two, and you know you're actually like running Node.js like line by line. 
And uh, so I think that actually makes sense across the the languages. So it, it, at least from the VS code perspective, it's not like they would be adding a, a feature specifically for PowerShell. I think that's a, a feature that makes sense across languages. Definitely. I mean, this, this is a really common thing for languages like Python and Ruby as well. So, I mean, since VS code wants yeah. to target these, these languages, uh, it makes sense to have the, the general type of tools that uh, developers for those languages are used to. So I, I think it's definitely coming. I think the way that they dealt with this in the past is that they allowed you to uh, launch an external console that you could use. So like the actual native console for whatever the language was. And then you could attach to something that was running in um, the console if you wanted to debug the stuff that's in the console. So I think that um, that eventually, I, I don't know for sure because I'm not in their team, but eventually they will mm-hmm. probably migrate over to a more integrated console experience. Okay, that would be very cool. So is is there ever a time that, I mean, I love VS Code and PowerShell ISE, I I have no, I have no feelings for it. Um, I just use it because it's, uh, it's the best thing that I can use for PowerShell. So am I going to once one, you know, now that this is in VS code, am I ever going to use PowerShell ISE you think other than for maybe for that, like immediate stuff, but is there any other time we're going to want to go in there? It depends on who you are. I mean, I think people who develop um, uh, C-sharp applications and also use PowerShell for some automation for maybe their deployment or their build or, or whatever, they'll probably want to use VS Code or some other editor that, that they feel familiar with um, to, to do PowerShell development. But there, there's still a large number of users of the PowerShell ISC who really just like the, the ISC for, for what it provides. I mean, it's an inbox tool that's always there. So if you have to remote desktop into like a remote mm-hmm. machine that you need to debug something on, it's, it's there. Uh, and it, you know, it just provides the, the, the essential functionality for dealing with PowerShell. Um, so, so because of that, you know, we're still definitely wanting to invest in uh, improving that and, and um, um, you know, stabilizing it and, and you know just just making it better for people because we know that it's still a really important tool i mean for me the, the person who maintains it actually is a little bit nerve-wracking when every demo i see of a powershell feature given at some conference they're always using powershell isc so i, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to actually make sure this thing doesn't uh get get buggy or whatever but uh but yeah i mean the, the isc will still continue to be useful for the, for the people who um who prefer it okay so since most of this is being developed uh, with OmniSharp, have you been able to do this, uh, add this functionality independently, or have you had to work with the Visual Studio Code team? Yeah, actually, um, so I sort of got in touch with the VS Code team probably maybe in, I think, May or June um, to talk about adding PowerShell support to the editor. And um, they gave me some guidance about how to sort of write a language service because they, they have a, a more sort of higher level strategy in mind for um, how different uh, language implementations will plug into uh, Visual Studio Code. So they recommended that I sort of follow this, you know, hosted process with standard IO approach, which is different than what, you know, OmniSharp was typically doing at the time. However, OmniSharp also does this protocol because they are plugging into VS Code. So I think one of the developers from the VS Code team actually added this um, this standard IO support to OmniSharp. But, um, but yeah, basically, uh, I just looked at the features that they had available in VS Code, the sort of the interesting things that would be useful for PowerShell. And uh, with the help of a summer intern named Kayla Davis, I, I sort of migrated over the uh, t- the existing TypeScript extension that uh, lives in VS Code and made it sort of available for PowerShell and then sort of implemented the language service features that were necessary to to bring those features online. 
That's very cool. Yeah, because I could I can really see this improving Visual Studio Code. I mean, every new language that they support has its own set of things, and that just in, improves Visual Studio Code and makes it easier to add new languages as time go time goes on. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, it's it's really interesting now because th- there's a new development in the um, sort of language extension API that happened maybe. Like two weeks ago, like literally okay. the whole weekend I was refactoring my code to, to snap to this. But um, there is a new NPM package called uh, VS Code Language Client where it allows you to create a very simple um, TypeScript-based VS Code extension that um, wires up all of the features automatically for you. So all you have to do is basically just provide your language server process and just tell it how to launch it. And then it could do all the requests for you to your language service and then stand all those features up inside of VS Code for you. So this has been really helpful for me because I was able to delete like you know 10 or 12 TypeScript files that you know I had been maintaining by hand. So for anyone yeah. who's interested in actually adding language support for, uh, some, for some platform that they like, they, all they have to do is just create a really simple VS Code uh, extension package and then just, you know, write a host process that, you know, is written for their platform and speaks to this JSON protocol that, uh, that it understands and, and they're good to go. Man, VS Code is just on fire, isn't it? <laughs> they, they're doing some really great stuff. I've actually been watching yeah. the development really closely over the past few months and things have improved drastically. I, th- I think that they're really moving in the right direction. And uh, once people start, you know, learning the extensibility APIs, we're going to see some really cool stuff. Yeah. No, very cool. So um, going back to PowerShell, you know, anything new and interesting that you want to talk about that's coming up in like the next year in regards to PowerShell? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, people will continue to see us try to um, uh, release more new projects as open source. I mean, I've got um, both PowerShell editor services and, and the Visual Studio Code extension will be released as open source. And I've, I've got a few other ideas for things that I would personally like to open source. Uh, but, you know, we really want to become more engaged with the, the, the larger PowerShell community and the developer community at large to to, to sort of, you know, enable more scenarios for PowerShell and to sort of bring PowerShell to more places. So um, really, this is um, uh, an important thing going forward. Um, also, um, for at least like the PowerShell IC, I've got sort of a plan where I want to be able to ship preview releases of it via the PowerShell gallery. And if you haven't heard of the PowerShell gallery, it's basically uh, almost like uh, NPM or NuGet for PowerShell. So it allows you to install PowerShell modules to your machine using just a simple install module command. Uh, in PowerShell. So uh, um, I'm going to see if I can try to ship the IC via this channel so that I can start to iterate more frequently on on feature improvements and, and sort of take in more community feedback about what they'd like to see in the editor, because there's still a lot of people who love this editor, and I think they would like to see some some improvements. And I would definitely like to be able to give them those improvements on a, on a cadence that's faster than, you know, Windows release, because it you know takes a little while yeah. to release Windows. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing, and I guess this is probably sort of internal stuff, but I'm guessing you, you know, it's not like the, the, the day before the new version of windows ships, can you, you know, say like, Hey guys, guys, here, here's my code. Like, please put this new ISE in there. I'm guessing you have to have that in there way before that. Well, that that's sort of the, the strategy that yeah. I, I'll, I'll try to take for this is um, basically I will be um, developing ISE functionality in my own separate repository, you know, yeah. just doing my own thing. And then around time, whenever it's getting close to ship, uh, I'll, I'll move the the code back over to the Windows store space and then let it run all of its automated tests and everything. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that a couple of other PowerShell modules may be 
taking this approach as well because uh, the uh, package management module and um, also uh, the PowerShell gallery module, they are shipped as part of Windows. They're a core part of Windows now. But they also need to be developed sort of uh, ad hoc and be installed separately if someone wants to install a newer version. So I think this is going to be a more general model you'll see for sort of the extensions to PowerShell going forward. Okay. Very cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention? I know we went through a lot of stuff really quickly. Uh, really just that uh, I would love to get people to to come contribute to these new efforts for you know Visual Studio Code and, and PowerShell Editor Services. I mean, I'm only one person, so I can't go and like implement all of the the the, the editor integrations that that are possible yeah. now. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking for um, interested people out there who want to help bring good PowerShell editing support to their favorite editor, uh, and also just to contribute to the core platform because you know I'm not necessarily a PowerShell expert yet. So there's a lot of features that maybe people care about that they could come help add functionality for. So uh, once the repositories are open, I'm definitely looking forward to accepting pull requests and bug reports and pretty much everything that people are willing to provide. Okay. Is the service itself open source then? Yeah, it will be open source. It's it's oh, it's, okay. it's going to be made live uh, on GitHub with a public repo um, on Wednesday when everything else gets announced. Okay. Well, so by the time that this episode goes live, it'll be out there. Yep. So where is that going to be on the, the Microsoft GitHub account? Actually, it will be on the uh, the PowerShell GitHub account. PowerShell GitHub account. Okay, that sounds good. We'll try to we'll get a link to that so that people can take a look at that. That's really cool. Whenever people can go out there and you know you build something and and then people can go and look at how it actually works as well. Um, yeah. And that makes it that makes it so much easier whenever they are you know whenever you are saying hey you know please iterate on this or or you know make na- new language services that type of thing. Actually, um, th- there's one PowerShell MVP named Keith Hill who's been helping me already with this stuff. Um, he's uh, implemented one of the features that we'll be shipping tomorrow, which is uh, document symbols and workspace symbols. So being able to see you know, what functions are available in a given file or all the files that you have open. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also like, identified a couple of, you know, kind of nasty bugs that would have been kind of bad if, if I would have shipped with them. So um, I've already been getting some benefits from this ability to you know, work with outside people on the project. So, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for more of this type of, uh, of, of collaboration. Okay. Very cool. Anything else? I think that's it for me. Okay. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so I assume what will end up happening tomorrow is I'll, I'll open a VS code and it'll say an update is available and this will just magically work. Or do I have to, do I actually have to install something? Um, so yeah, it should be like that. Uh, if they, if they make the, the update live tomorrow, you'll see that there's an update okay. and then, um, um, you'll be able to open the command palette in VS Code, which is Control-Shift-P. And then if mm-hmm. you type in extension, it will give you uh, the option to install extensions. And once you hit that option, it gives you another drop down with a list of all available uh, extensions for VS Code. You can just type in PowerShell and it should install it. Uh, there's there's one prerequisite to being able to run this on Windows, though. Uh, you need to have uh, PowerShell version 5, and that comes with Windows 10. So if you okay, have Windows good. 10 already, so you're fine. But if you have yeah. Windows 8.1, um, you'll need to install the, uh, the WMF 5.0 production preview, which is a bit of a mouthful. But it's basically the Windows management framework, and it comes with a newer version of PowerShell. So you can find that online, basically. Okay. And if you are running 8.1, now's the time to upgrade because yeah. this latest build is awesome. So yep. <laughs> just do it. And that that's the easy way to upgrade to PowerShell 5. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. Azure pick of the week. So last week I was actually, I spent a couple days working with a partner on developing a Power BI visual. Like I actually can't talk about the visual itself, but I can talk about visuals in general. Um, so 
If you're not familiar with, you know, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background here. If you're not familiar with Power BI, it's this really, really cool way that you can go out there and you can build these, these dashboards with, you know, pulling in data from places like GitHub and from uh, Google Analytics or from wherever. Um, and then you can use a whole bunch of built-in visualizations to create these, these various reports and dashboards and things can update in real time. It, it's just, it's business intelligence and it's, and it's just, it's just amazing at, at how it's been um, set up so that anybody can get up and running with this in, in five minutes. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is building custom visuals on top of that. So basically you can use, you know, Visual Studio Code um, or your editor of choice and you're using TypeScript um, to, to build these things. And uh, what's cool about this is you, you build them, you know, you basically tell it how you want to receive the data. You build the actual visual, which is like a combination. You can use SVG, you can use D3. Um, you actually, you know, render the, the visual and it's all a nice vector graphic and you can do animations and things like that. And then what you can do is you can actually go out here and publish it to the uh, Power BI gallery if you want. Um, or you can just import it for your own reports. Um, but you can put it out here on the public gallery and then other people can use it. So I'm just going to include a link for the Power BI visuals because there's a whole bunch of third-party visuals in here that are really amazing. The latest one actually is uh, Word Cloud. Uh, so if you look at this one, uh, it takes the data and it, it builds a Word Cloud out of it. And it it looks really cool. And this is just a neat way to, uh, to really make your um, Power BI dashboards really have a kick to them. Uh, so, Carl, what do we got for the app of the week? This week's app of the week is App Raisin, and this is a new application. It's uh, for Windows Store. It's universal app with the mobile version as well, so you need Windows 10. And this is done by Ad Duplex. So, um, uh-huh, okay. At that conference, we had uh, yep. Alan Mendelovich, and uh, he's the CEO, and he actually told me about this. And what this app is is it is an app discovery application. So, if you want to check out like different kinds of apps that are out there, you can see. Um, which ones are, are the newest. So they have a, a view that'll show you all the newest applications out there and which ones are rising. So which ones are becoming more and more popular. And what's cool is if you log in, you can, you know, if you find an app that you really like, you can click the raise it button and they got a little, uh, you know, like uh helium balloon or, or <laughs> balloon that you would, you know, ride in okay. and, and that'll, that'll, uh, keep it in that rising section okay. even longer so other people can discover applications. Um, and where this is cool. cool is a lot of us are developers as well. So you can actually add the link uh, to the store for your own application and get that in there so other people can discover your app. So that's the other part of this that's really cool. So not only can you use this to find apps that are interesting to you, but you can get your app more visibility. Okay, very cool. Uh, what is our dev tip of the week? The dev tip of the week is really cool. It's an extension for Visual Studio called Microsoft Band Tools. And what this does is it provides IntelliSense and validation for writing web tiles for your Microsoft Band. And it works with both the Band 1 and 2. And this would have been handy for us when we were writing our web tile, which we did not have this for. But uh, it understands, uh, like I said, IntelliSense, it does validation. It makes sure that your uh, file paths are right with your icons. It's making sure that you don't have any undeclared icons because you want this package to be very small and anything extra in there is just going to be wasted uh, on the download. Uh, And it's just, uh, you know, it covers this very small task because these aren't very big um, payloads, but 
if it's not right, your web tile will not work. Uh, yeah. And it, you really just have no idea why. Yeah. There, there, there's <laughs> I, no way. It only took me like 10 minutes to actually, you know, build the web tile for them, the original web tile for them as dev show. But um, yeah, it was like build, try it. No, it didn't work. What did I do wrong? You know, try it again. So yeah, this, it would have been nice if this would have been around. And just as a reminder, then if you go to msdevshow.com slash band dot web tile, you can get alerts on when the latest shows are published. Oh, I can't live without it, Carl. <laughs> it's on my band right now. <laughs> I, I, I ended up, uh, I saw I don't know if I have it in mine. I'm going to have to well, put that it, back it, in mine. It, it doesn't pay because you hit the button. So <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> Plus I'm going to get my band too. And then I'm going to have to start over anyway. Okay. Uh, so David, we play a game on the show and I think you've listened to the show before. So you probably know what this game is yep. it's called. You got to be kidding. It's a game for kids. But, uh, you know, why don't we play it? So you want to pick a number between one and four? All right. Let me go with two. Two. Okay. Would you rather be great at one sport but awful at all others or just be fair at all of them? I would say I'd rather be great at one sport. Yeah, that's that's kind of an easy answer. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I I wonder, like, how bad you'd be at the other ones, though. You know, is this like where you'd, you know, you would look, you'd be like the worst player ever at like every other sport? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. That, you could, I, I mean, you could avoid sports though. It's not I, that hard. I, I pretty much, I know what it's like already. Cause I'm pretty bad at sports. So yeah, it's yeah, it wouldn't exactly. be very much different for me. <laughs> yeah. We just, yeah, just have an improvement in one sport. That's pretty much what happened. Yep. Good point. Okay. Carl, pick a number. I'll take number three. Number three. Would you rather sleep on the sidewalk for seven nights during seven nights straight during normal weather or for one night while it rains? I think you might've answered this one before. I, I think I might've, I'll take the fair weather one. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Seven nights. Though. I mean, that's a long time. That That's camping. Yeah. And and it doesn't say, it doesn't say what the temperature is while it's raining. It said, well, no, it says fair versus raining. So yeah. But if it's like a hundred degrees and raining, it might not be that bad. I'm just saying, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> oh, okay. What else do we got here? Uh, David, where can people find you? I see Carl has collected a whole bunch of links for the show notes, but where should people go to find more about you and about this feature? Oh yeah. So, um, primarily people can find me on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. uh my, uh, handle is, uh, Davy will D A V I W I L. Uh, and I like to interact with the, the PowerShell community there. Um, mm-hmm. but also I hang out in the, uh, the PowerShell, uh, community Slack channel. Um, I believe that's, uh, slack.poshcode.org, but, uh, that's a great place to go if you want to learn more about PowerShell and sort of get involved with people who are interested in the language. But, um, but yeah, the, the two projects that I talked about today, um, uh, the VS code project, obviously you'll find it in VS code. Um, but uh, you'll find the source code for both of these projects on GitHub under uh, github.com slash PowerShell. Um, there's a VS Code PowerShell project and also a PowerShell editor services project. So I'll give you the links for that. Okay, perfect. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at wpdevguy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So David, thank you so much, I guess, first of all, for reaching out to us um, and letting us know that this was happening. And then also for coming on the show and uh, giving us all the details. This uh, This is very cool. Yeah, great. Thanks a lot for having me. It was great being on. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 